0: No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But, Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord.
1: just pray for a moment. Shall we ask God for peace to rest upon this building? We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word to us tonight. We thank you also for your protection around us and your blessing upon us. We ask that everybody who's been here tonight will be blessed by you. We thank you for this amazing story, this passage of scripture for us tonight. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you open my mouth to speak your word, your word of truth, eternal truth? And would you open our ears to hear you speak as you open the ears of Lazarus? And would you fill us with life tonight? Amen. 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 Thank you all very much for uh, your prayers and praises which I've enjoyed tonight. Thank you for those who have been uh, watchmans on the wall, those who have been praying. Bless you. Last week, we thought about Mary of Bethany and her lavish gift of honour and of gratitude and of worship poured out on the feet of Jesus. Tonight, we look back on the moment that triggered that extraordinary act of loving generosity. This is a most momentous passage. If you have shut your Bibles, perhaps you'd like to open them again, page 1077, chapter 11 of the Gospel according to St. John. Chapter 11, that's page 1077. If it weren't for the crucifixion and the resurrection at the end of John's Gospel, this would be the climax. This would be the high point of the story. The themes that um, that are raised at the beginning of John's Gospel and that intertwine throughout the stories and will come together in such such an extraordinary climax on the cross and at the empty tomb, weave together first at this moment. So it's quite a difficult passage to preach. It's difficult to know what to leave out. There is so much that could be said. It's a shame I can't lecture for two hours tonight. There is much to say. It's also difficult because this passage touches on our own understandings and feelings and grasp of our own mortality. So it's a difficult, painful passage but glorious. As we've been hearing in this series throughout John's Gospel, Jesus has declared over and over again that he is way more than just a great moral teacher. Time and again he says, Yahweh, I am. I am who I am. I am the Son of the Father. Either we will reject his claim or we will accept it But it's no longer an option for us if we've read our way through St. John's Gospel to damn Jesus with faint British praise. Well, he was a decent sort of chap. That's no longer an option for us. Many in John's Gospel were coming to believe in Jesus and many others were deciding it was time that he was eliminated. So at the end of chapter 10, just before just a few verses before where this reading starts, Jesus withdraws from the spotlight of Jerusalem back across the Jordan. He keeps his head down. He's biding his time, waiting. What's he waiting for? Right back at the start of the gospel at Cana, Jesus tells his mother, what is this to you, woman? My time has not yet come. And through the gospel, at critical points, we hear it again. His time had not yet come. His time had not yet come. But by chapter 13, so only two chapters after this, only basically two episodes later, Jesus, it says, Jesus, knowing that his time had come, washed his disciples' feet. So somewhere between this hidden time in, across Jordan and that moment in the upper room, Jesus f- discovers, Jesus hears, Jesus knows that his time has come. Hidden across the Jordan, I believe Jesus was waiting for a sign from his father that the time had come for his final fateful journey to Jerusalem. And when the message comes from Martha and Mary about their brother, I think Jesus suddenly knew inside himself, in his inner spirit, this was it. This was the moment. This was the sign. This would be the sign, not only the greatest sign, and St. John's Gospel is stacked with signs for those who read. Not only the greatest sign to his disciples and to us who read the Gospel of who Jesus is, but also a sign to Jesus himself that his time has come. As he says to his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Of course that glory will come at Lazarus' tomb but it will come even more fully at that later, greater, second empty tomb. The disciples don't realize this yet. Well, fair play. They assume that Jesus is weighing up the dangers of returning to Jerusalem against the pressing need to get to Lazarus too late in order to do him any good. But Jesus chooses to wait another two days. He waits for an inner certainty that Lazarus is already dead, so that nobody will think that this is about sickness, Jesus has already shown that he has the power to heal. But today he has bigger fish to fry. In this greatest sign, the time has come for Jesus to confront not sickness, not illness, but death itself. So he says to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So that you may believe that the Father has given me not only power to heal, but power to raise the dead. Power over death. And so that you may hold on to your belief in me when I too am dead and buried in my tomb. So as Jesus and his disciples set off for Bethany, death is on everybody's mind. Lazarus' death, the possible death of the disciples awaiting them in Jerusalem, the death that Jesus knows is coming to him. Quite a somber journey. Even in Jesus' company, we still travel towards death, each one of us. This is very tough for us. And Jesus doesn't take the toughness away, but He does accompany us. Indeed, He leads us in our journey. We do not walk alone to Bethany, to the death of our friends, nor to Jerusalem, our own death. We walk with Jesus. Some of us with less imagination and experience won't feel this, uh, any great sense of foreboding about this at the moment. But others of us, for some of us, the journey right now seems very fearful. Yet Jesus is walking with us, and he asks us to trust him, that sickness and death for ourselves and for those that we love does not end in death, That if we will trust him, we will see God's glory in the Son. And so we arrive with Jesus at the place of death. So much grief, so much loss, so many heart-wrenching questions. In the end, they all boil down to this one, the one which both the sisters ask of Jesus. Why weren't you here? If you'd been here, you could have healed our brother. He would not have died. Why didn't you come when we sent for you? When we pleaded with you? When we prayed to you? Sometimes such confusion and distress finds outlet in hostility and anger. Why should I believe in you, God, when you don't answer my prayers, when you're not here when I really needed you? But not so for Martha and Mary, especially Martha. Any implicit accusation in her words, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, is set aside in her next trusting words. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. When we find our prayers are unanswered, Can we join Martha in trusting, even in the face of the impossible, that Jesus can still receive from the Father whatever he asks? Can we trust him to ask the right thing for us? Jesus' next words to Martha are ambiguous. Your brother will rise again. Ambiguous as they are, they challenge Martha's faith further. With hindsight, we can see that they're quite comforting words, but she doesn't know that. They speak to a theological understanding of the way the world is and the way that the world will be after death. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, says Martha, stepping forwards once more in faith. Now this isn't a religious platitude. You might think this is just her kind of digging in for some some kind of religious terminology to, to answer back to Jesus. No, many of her contemporaries, perhaps even most of her contemporaries, didn't believe this yet. This was a new idea that was being tossed around in Jewish thought. But from her experience of Jesus, Martha can say it confidently. I know he will rise again at the last day. Jesus has drawn this faith out of her. And now comes the simple, shocking declaration of Godhead from the lips of Jesus. Yahweh, I am who I am. I am resurrection and life. Life within and beyond and over death. Death may seem to you to to be the final frontier, but God is, I am beyond that frontier. I am resurrection. I am life out of death. Do you believe this? What a huge question. Crushed by grief, like Martha, could we begin to answer that question? I don't know about you, but I think we often don't expect that much from Martha, the bustling activist, endlessly busy, always unfavourably compared with Mary because she doesn't sit at Jesus' feet and drink in his words. She's the one out there in the kitchen, wiping up, making the supper, getting everything ready. We kind of assume that she's just sort of floating in on the periphery, sort of, you know, piggybacking on her sister's faith. But it is Martha who at this moment of crisis, in the midst of her grief, soars to a whole new level of faith. It was her faith that drew from Jesus these extraordinary, powerful words, I am the resurrection and the life. And her faith responds again, thrills to these words, as she answers with an equally great affirmation. In John's Gospel, it is given to Martha to say the words that are usually given or heard on Peter's lips. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Or praise to Martha. Surprisingly, in this story, we don't hear much about Mary. Only that her immediate response in her grief is to run to Jesus. Sound instinct. And also that her grief triggers Jesus' own grief. Three times we're told about it. Seeing Mary's grief, seeing her weeping and the other Jews weeping with her, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Invited to see the tomb, he wept. Approaching the tomb, he was deeply troubled. Why did he weep? Why was he so troubled? Was it shared sorrow? Was it anger at death's impact on those who are grieving? Was it... Distress at the whole human condition, human mortality? Was it a foretaste of his own dying? In many ways, the question of the Jewish bystanders sums it all up. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This is the terrible question which faces us as faces us at every graveside. It faces me at every funeral that I lead when I read out the words of Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. Could not he who healed the sick, who raised Lazarus again, who himself raised from the dead, could he not have kept this person here from dying? Like Martha, I know that God will give Jesus whatever he wants So why doesn't he stop my friend from dying? Why will he not stop me? Why does Jesus not erase death from our whole human experience? I'm sorry, I don't know the answer to this. I just know that he doesn't. Every person who has ever lived since Jesus uttered these incredible words, including Lazarus, including Jesus himself, Every person has finally died. Sometimes it's true in answer to fervent prayer, God brings people back from death. But in the end, they also die. God has not chosen to rescind the process of dying, even though Jesus is now proclaimed as resurrection and life. Why must that be? We don't know. We just know That we will all be forced, each one of us, one day, to stand in the shoes of Martha and Mary and grieve those we love. And looking into that grave to face our own dying. In such moments we are confronted by Christ's words. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Of course, that declaration would sound rather hollow were it not for what happens next. Commanding Lazarus' tomb to be opened, Jesus reminds us who watch on with the disciples. And the bystanders, that if we believe in him, we will see the glory of God. And then Jesus looks into the tomb, our tomb, his own tomb, and he does so without fear. He weeps, for sure. He understands its horror. He's angry with its power to blight our lives. He sees the pain and darkness of his own tomb. But he, The resurrection and the life faces death without fear. And then he speaks. The Lord of heaven and hell, the creator of all things, the resurrection and the life, he speaks. He speaks aloud, loud enough to be heard at the back of the crowd, loud enough to be heard at the back of the cave, loud enough to be heard in the spiritual realms and dominions loud enough to be heard by Satan and all his demons in the pit of hell loud enough to be heard by death itself loud enough to be heard by Lazarus four days dead. To try to understand the power of his voice we have to think trumpets, rolls of drums, a crack of thunder here's how Jesus describes the voice of Jesus Here how John describes it, sorry, in Revelation. Perhaps this is how Lazarus heard it. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Yes, he holds the keys of death and hell and they can't stop him. At the call of his voice, step by step, the grave clothes falling from him, Lazarus walks out into the light. At the call of his voice, step by step, our dread of death dropping away from us, we can all walk free. This is the greatest and last of the signs, the sign which prepared the disciples to recognise the glory of God in the agonizing humiliation of the cross and the unquenchable life of the empty tomb. The sign for those of us who face life's final terror in the death of those we love and the prospect of our own extinction. Jesus calls, Lazarus, come forth, come out, come out of your prison, come out of your despair, come out of your fear. He who believes in me will live, though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Of course, the story doesn't stop there, does it? Jesus follows his journey to the very end. Not just weeping with us, but dying with us. Not just commanding life from the outside, but becoming new life from the inside. We know that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. But we also know that, in the words of the great Lenten collect, the uh, prayer of the season in the Anglican Church, that Jesus went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain. And entered not into glory before he was crucified. And so we know that we too will and must stand by the tomb, enter the tomb. But that Jesus stands with us and enters with us. And will call us and all those who love him into eternal life. To each one, sooner or later, he will call out these words. I am the resurrection and the life. And ask this question. Do you believe this? We know that even now, God will still give Jesus whatever he asks. And sometimes that will mean complete healing. And sometimes it won't. And sometimes it will mean calling back from death. And sometimes it won't. But if we are of the family of Bethany, who can respond with the words of faith that Martha used, You are the Christ, the Son of God, then in the face of death, we too can be unafraid. Because one day we will hear His words called out to us from the, s- the far side of the tomb. Michael, Jitesh Stephen, David, Jeanette, Charlotte, Irene, Richard, come forth. And we will be released from our grave clothes, our human physical wrappings, and we will step forth into resurrection and glorious new life. Jesus says to you, each one of you, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Shall we pray? Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.